It is good to see you. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the uh, pastoral care minister here at Highland Park. Glad that you are here today. I do want to ask you please to find the uh, connection card that is in your connect card that is in your bulletin. And uh, if you would fill that out, let us know of your attendance here today. Uh, let us know if there are questions we can answer for you, prayers that uh, we can add to our prayers so that we can pray for you. But please use that Connect card. Uh, at the end of our service, when the offering trays are passed, you can place that card in the uh, tray, and uh, we would appreciate that very, very much. We are in our new summer series, started last week, and it's called Rescued. And we're talking about how God rescues different Bible characters throughout the course of uh, this series. We'll be looking at a variety of characters. Last week, I talked about Lydia, and today we're going to be talking about the character, the disciple, Thomas. And so I want you to, uh, I want you to be aware that how this series goes, and I would like for you to read that key verse there at the very top from Colossians 1, 13, and 14. Let's, let's read this passage together. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is an important understanding that we, we must have. This is how God saves us. And what we're going to be looking at is how he has interacted in the lives of a lot of different people. And in your bulletin, there is a sermon page. If you want to use that to follow along, take some notes. But as you look at that, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Maybe today you come and you're saying, you know, this past week, had a lot of darkness in it. The good news is he is capable to rescue you from that darkness. And not only does he rescue you, he transfers you, he brings you into the kingdom of his son. It's the son whom he loves and it's the son in whom we have our forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that today you give us this opportunity to open your word. And Father, I pray that we, as we do so, we would also open our hearts, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to speak your word into our hearts so that we might respond to you. And Father, I thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your Son to rescue us from the darkest dominion of sin. And that you make it possible for us to be into the kingdom of the Son you love and in whom we have forgiveness of sin. So, Father, help us to approach your word with that today. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever missed an opportunity? Have you ever had that time where you went, oh, man, I wish I'd have been there. I... I, I, I I wish that I'd, wish that I'd known that. I, I want you to imagine that every Tuesday night, you have this standing thing with your friends, and you go to a certain restaurant, 
and you all eat supper together at this, and this is a weekly occurrence, it's on your calendar, and you meet your friends, and you have a great evening. And then one, one week, something comes up, you can't avoid it, and you can't be at the dinner. And then later your friends text you and say, you're not going to believe this. But, and then you want to fill in the blank of your favorite celebrity, whomever that might be. You're not going to believe this, but was at the restaurant and they bought dinner for the whole house and you weren't here. And then they just blow up Instagram with pictures taken they got of them with your celebrity. And you were like, oh, I missed it. Why did I? And you begin to have second thoughts about, where, did I really need to miss? What was, what was going on? Well, that may be a little bit, just a little bit of what Thomas was feeling after he missed that first night on the night of the resurrection. And he missed that first night with the disciples because Jesus showed up and he wasn't there. And that's what we're going to be talking about. So let's take a look at it beginning in John chapter 20. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You think Thomas considered that a missed opportunity? I have a feeling they probably didn't text him with pictures. But that was the, that was the event. That's what took place. Now, on your sermon outline page, it talks about Jesus' preemptive strikes on fear and doubt. And I want you to notice some of those preemptive strikes. I want you to notice what he did and how he preemptively addressed that. His first words to them were, peace be with you. And John describes how that they had locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And that, was that a rational fear? Perhaps. For over a year, the Pharisees had sought to be able to kill Jesus, and they finally got the job done. They had killed him. And so maybe they were thinking, what's next? Are they coming for us? They know who we are. So they had met together, and they were in the room, and they'd locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and then Jesus shows up, and he says, peace. And I want you to notice this, this was, Jesus did not address the particular threat. He did not address the threat of the Jewish leaders. He didn't address a particular threat, but he gave them a universal application. He said, peace be with you. You have to remember that before his death, he had told them, and we find this recorded in John 14, that he had told them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And later that same evening, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. That's what Jesus had said that night. Later, in the, what we were called in the 16th chapter of John, Jesus again says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It was a universal peace be with you. And it was a peace that he'd already told them about before his death. But in the crisis, they'd forgotten, evidently, and they were fearful. Have you ever been in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a very difficult situation, and you found yourself very tense, very anxious, very afraid, and you have forgotten that Jesus had said to you, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. So once again, Jesus preemptively addresses their fears with peace. And then secondly, he showed them his hands and his side. Graphic images from the crucifixion become graphic testimony of the resurrection. Jesus had been nailed to the cross, hands and feet. Jesus had had a spear thrust into his side. They had seen him die. The women talked about having gone to anoint the body hurriedly. Then they were going to go back and finish the job. And then they couldn't find the body. And they were afraid that somebody had stolen the body. They didn't know what was going on. Their world was collapsing around them and they had forgotten that Jesus had said, my peace I give to you. My peace resides with you at all times. So he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. And then you'll notice that also it says their response was they were overjoyed because they saw the Lord. You know, what they had heard from the women was we went to the tomb. The tomb was empty. And then some of them said, but then he appeared to us and we saw him. And Peter and John had rushed to the tomb, but Jesus wasn't there. They've now gathered in this upper room again. They've locked the door because they're afraid. And Jesus appears. Peace be with you. See my hands. See my side. And they were overjoyed because they saw Jesus. Let me ask you this. What doubts and fears are you facing today that, that Jesus' preemptive peace perhaps can help you deal with those fears? Maybe you've just lost sight of it. Maybe you don't believe that it really applies to you. Maybe, maybe you're not sure that his peace is big enough for your turmoil. I would ask you, who told you that his peace is not big enough for your turmoil? Where did that come from? 
Is that from the one who is the father of lies? The one who came into the world to kill, steal, and destroy? Is he the one who's telling you that's not sufficient? Jesus says it is. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Now, let's continue reading in the text. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which simply means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas, you should have been there, man. We saw the Lord. Notice Thomas's response. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in the side, I will not believe. You know, I mentioned earlier, we're not told why Thomas had missed the opportunity. But do you think Thomas was now second-guessing himself as to, was my reason for not being there really a good enough reason that I missed Jesus? Do you remember Thomas's response to the Lord that night in the upper room? Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Remember, he'd also said, now I'm going to go away, but you know where I'm going. You remember it was Thomas who had said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas had been interactive. He'd been discussing with Jesus. God, I'm not understanding everything you're saying to me. And Jesus' response had been, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. And Thomas might have been thinking, that's all well and good, Lord, but, but where are you going? And sometimes we are like that. We, we think we have questions that God hasn't answered, and so what he has given to us does not seem to be enough. But it is what Jesus has given to us, so it is enough. Thomas was perhaps dealing with some self-doubt, perhaps dealing with some guilt, Thomas knew what he thought would resolve all that. Thomas said, okay, this is what I need. If I could see the nail marks, if I could put my finger where that was, and if I could put my hand into his side, then I would believe. And basically, that's what the guys were saying to him. The disciples were saying to him, Peter, we saw Jesus. You know, we, 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 we got to put our hands there and touch that, and we got to, you know... And Thomas said, well, unless I get to do that, I'm not going to believe it. In other words, your testimony is not good enough for me. i got to see this for myself. And folks, when we begin to live our lives that way, your testimony is not good enough for me. I've got to see it myself. What am I saying about myself? What am I saying about I am the one who really decides whether this is true or not? And that's a dangerous position to put yourself because you are usurping what is actually the role that Jesus has. Have you ever thought, if God would do for me what he's done for, and again, we're going to fill in the blank. Is there any kind of jealousy? Well, if God would bless me the way he's blessed so-and-so, then I'd believe. If God would do this for me, then, then, I would, then I would believe. And if God would do this and this and this, and if God would do all of those things, sometimes 
Other people's blessings become a source of jealousy for us. Sometimes other people's blessings, other people's opportunities, other people's successes, and maybe suddenly we're finding ourselves to be more like Thomas than than we really want to be. Let's continue reading verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, and though the doors were locked, why? Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, And then Jesus told him, you have seen me because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen me and yet believe. Now let's talk about this difference between the tension, the the difference between the tension of faith and our confession of faith. This is where Thomas is. Let's first look at the tension. What was the tension that Thomas was experiencing? It's obvious that he desperately wanted to believe, but he wanted proof to protect himself from being crushed again. I don't want to say, Jesus is alive only to have him ripped out of my grasp one more time. He wanted to be able to say, Jesus is alive, but was afraid that somehow, Something would happen, and he would have that same sense of loss that he'd had before. He wanted proof. I think some of the saddest words that came after the resurrection were the words that were spoken on the way to Emmaus. Remember after Jesus was resurrected, and he was going to Emmaus, and he met these people walking on the road, and And he began to ask them questions, and they said, Dude, where have you been? Are you the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? And and Jesus said, What things? And so they began to tell him all the things about Jesus. But here are the saddest words. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. All of our hopes got crushed at Calvary. And now we don't know what to do. I think that's probably really where Thomas was. And you see, this is often a tension between our understanding of God's plan and how he fulfills his plan in us. I believe God's plan for my life is this. And then when God begins to fulfill his plan in me in a way other than how I thought, I'm in this tension. Is this really God's plan? Because the way I had it worked out was really pretty neat, God. And it was a whole lot easier for me if you'd do it my way. And God says, I'm going to do it this way. My plan for you includes this. Jesus resolved the tension for Thomas by inviting him. Put your hands here. Touch me. See. But then you'll notice that Jesus also said, Now, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. You see, doubt is not the same 
as a hostile reaction to Jesus. Pharisees had a hostile reaction to Jesus because they didn't believe him. Thomas struggled with doubt. He believed him, but he couldn't comprehend it. And how do you, how do you think Jesus spoke those words? Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Do you think he kind of wagged his finger and said, Thomas, stop doubting. Just believe. Uh, if that's your picture of Jesus, I'm really sorry. It's not my picture of Jesus. I would almost imagine Jesus doing it this way. Thomas, stop doubting. Just believe, okay? A loving, gracious Savior. And that's what he's saying to you perhaps today. I know you're struggling with doubt. I want you to somehow stop doubting. Believe me. Trust me. Believe me. Allow me to be the one in whom you place your faith. We must never confuse, and this is something that's important, we must never confuse, confuse someone else's doubt with a hostile reaction. And I, and I love the book of Jude, written by Jesus' other brother who wrote a book. Because in the, in the book of Jude, Jude starts off by saying, I really wanted to write about this common salvation. And then he says, but I felt compelled to write and urge the church to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the, holy, to the people, to God's holy people. When someone struggles with doubts, this ought to be the safest place that they say, you know, I, I really don't understand. I, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me understand this? And know that this is a safe place to be able to say, here's where I'm struggling. Can you help me deal with this? Because I believe that Jesus said very comfortingly to Thomas, Thomas, stop, stop doubting. Believe me. And Jude, Jesus' brother, saying, it's important that we contend for the faith, that we defend the faith, that we present the faith, that we help people understand the faith. And, and the reason I believe that it was gentle, because when you look at verses 22 and 23, there in, in the book of Jude, Jude writes, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Just, just go through those steps real quickly. Be merciful to those who doubt. If someone approaches you with mercy when you're saying, you know, I'm struggling with this and somebody comes to me with mercy... I'm more inclined to be more honest and say, well, this is, I'm, I'm struggling with this and, and here's why. And Jude says, be merciful. Where do you think Jude got that idea? Do you think he observed Jesus' mercy? 
Do you think he observed Jesus even with his disciples? You realize Jesus had one disciple that betrayed him. He had one disciple that denied him. He had another disciple that doubted him. But the one that doubted and the one that, that denied, both were restored to a right relationship with Jesus. The other one made it impossible for Jesus to have that with him. So be merciful to those who doubt. Others, snatch them from the fire. Dude, you are in so much danger right now. You don't realize. You're saying things. You're doing things. You're believing. You're practicing. You're saying, I can handle this. You don't know how close to the edge you are. Snatch them. Bring them back. One of my police officer friends uh, is a huge, huge guy. I mean, he's the kind of guy, if I go on a, on a call, I love for him to be my responding officer. Because if things get bad, I can just go hide behind him. They won't even see me. But I watched the newscast one day, and a young person was sitting on the edge of a bridge getting ready to jump. And my friend was the officer who was first on scene and was responding. And, there happened, and a news crew had heard about what was going on. And I watched as my friend and a couple of other officers slowly approached the person on the edge of the bridge and very gently but securely puts his arm around the person, hand in the middle of the back, lifts them up over the edge of the bridge, backs up, holding that person close the whole time. And I told him later, I said, man, that was the best example of strength and gentleness I have ever seen. <laughs> Snatch them from the fire, folks. We've got people that don't realize how much danger they're in. And sometimes we just have to go rescue them. And he says, to others, show mercy mixed with fear. Mercy mixed with fear. Recognizing, you know what? I could, I could fall into that same kind of temptation. I've got mercy, but I am not going to hang around. I'm not going to let that become a part. I'm not going to have to go do that so that I can be a witness. Mercy mixed with fear. Hating Hating the influence of sin, the staining impact of sin. That's, that's what it means to rescue. Now let's look at confession real quickly. You remember Thomas's response there in verse 28? Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And it's important to realize the significant difference here between what the other disciples had said and what Thomas said. The other disciples said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, when he saw him, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas understood, I'm not just looking at my Lord that I walked with and listened to for three and a half years. He really is God. 
And that makes a whole lot of difference in how you approach Jesus. And how you confess him and what you say about him and what you believe about him. You see, the importance of our confession is seen in in what Jesus says about our own confession. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Our confession is critical. Our confession of Christ now is critical for all eternity. For Thomas, his confession was not only that he had seen the Lord, but he recognized the Lord as God. And and don't forget what Jesus said to Thomas when he said that. Because what Jesus said to Thomas then, it is almost as if Jesus looked up to the future and he knew that there would be a Sunday morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there would be people who would fit this category. Because what did he say? He said, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those. Blessed are us. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. But we have believed. Sometimes we we try to demand too much empirical stuff from God when God says, the way I want you to come to me is in faith. I will rescue you. When you respond to me that way. What's the tipping point of your faith to accepting Christ? Or at asking another way, what is the stumbling block that is hindering you from responding to Christ? In Peter's first letter to the scattered churches of Asia, he makes this statement. In 1 Peter, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, your salvation of your souls. Notice that. Here is Peter who was an eyewitness. And he's writing to church to a church and he's saying, you have not seen him, but you do love him. I don't have to see him physically to love him. I don't have to see him physically to believe in him. You believe in him and are filled. And notice the crescendo that's kind of building here. Like the wave that is starting way out and then before it reaches the shore. Bills and bills. You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And you are receiving the end result of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Is is that the end result for you today? Have you been rescued from the dominion of darkness? And have you been brought into the kingdom of Jesus, God's son, whom he loved? Are you willing to be rescued? Are you willing to let God do for you what no one else can do? And that is to save your soul. 
Father, I thank you that you make it possible for us today to once again respond to you, to once again know that you are our Lord and our God, that you make it possible for us today to be able to hear you say to us, I just, I want you to stop doubting and I want you to believe in me. I want you to trust me today and to hear the love in his voice as he says it so that we can respond to it. Now, Holy Father, there are people here in this room that you are hearing them speak to you and you're hearing the questions they're asking. You are asked, they are asking you if now is the right time. Father, help them to be able to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.